Finding the right jeans is hard. Accepting your jeans is even harder. Whether you wear boyfriend or bootcut, high rise or low rise, this podcast will teach you to love the jeans you are in. I'm Rachel. And I'm Tina. And we're going to use modern research to bust diet myths and get real about body after baby. We're going to take you on a journey of unpacking your old beliefs about food and weight so you can learn to nourish your body and raise body confident kids. So put your booty in a chair and let's talk mom jeans. This episode you're about to listen to has a few choice words, so if you're listening with your children in the car, earmuffs. Thank you. Welcome to this episode of Mom Jeans. Today we are going to discuss the super challenging phase of parenting, which is helping your child navigate their growing, changing body in the midst of a diet-obsessed world. While we could easily cover this in multiple episodes, we're going to try to touch on as much as we can in one episode. Teen years are a tough one to navigate, not only for the teen themselves, but also for the parents. We are trying to find an equilibrium of allowing our teens to find their stride and their confidence, their values, and ways that they connect with their peers. And at the same time, we are trying to guide this ship, hoping that we are instilling some positive values and skills that they can actually hold on to. And as always, we are bringing it back to you, the mom. Because as the mom, being able to do your own work so that the guidance you are practicing with your kids is strong enough to break through diet culture. With this being said, we all, including your teen, are living in diet culture and are not going to be able to avoid it fully. So if we can create some strong boundaries, a safe space at home, and some strong core values that are beyond our bodies and food, then we can fight through the messages that our teens and even us as moms are going to be hearing. In this episode, we will be chatting about ways that you can support your teen through diet culture, weight messages, through bullying, and how to get support yourself. So let's transition to the interview now. All right, today we are welcoming Dana Sukow. Since overcoming bulimia, binging disorder, and exercise compulsion, Dana has become an expert in the field of body image, self-love, and eating disorder prevention. Offering a non-clinical and holistic approach, Dana gives parents, teachers, and caregivers the tools to raise children who love their bodies and themselves. In 2012, Dana founded DoTheHotPants.com as a fashion blog, but once she realized fashion's unattainable beauty standards were fueling her eating disorder, Dana made the powerful decision to leave the industry and focus on eating disorder prevention and activism. In 2014, Dana founded Hashtag My Body Story, an ongoing storytelling series created to uplift girls' and women's voices that so often go unheard. And in 2016, Dana co-founded The Ripple, a nonprofit nationwide activist collective focused on helping women make waves in their communities. Dana lives in New York City and holds a master's degree in creative writing from San Francisco State University. Welcome, Dana. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm really, really excited to be speaking with you. I'm looking forward to our conversation today. Same. Yeah. So there are so many conflicting messages that teens receive about their bodies and exercise and food. So when teens come to you overwhelmed about how to navigate body positivity in our diet culture, what is your go-to message that you share? 
Oh, uh, great question right off the bat. So, you know, I think my, well, I, I think my go-to message, you know, especially when I'm working with people or teens or schools or teachers or families, whoever it is that I'm talking to that says, I hate my body. I hate something about myself. I don't know what to do. I think the very first message that I try to tell people is that this self-hatred, this stuff you feel about your body is not your fault. We live in a world that profits off of your insecurities. We live in a world that functions, that makes money when you don't like yourself. And so, of course, social media is going to be set up to where everyone's life and body seems more perfect than yours. Of course, advertising, everyone's body and life is going to seem more perfect than yours. Um, and so it's really about removing that shame, removing that guilt that you are the only person feeling this way. Uh, because at the end of the day, you know, almost every single person has some sort of body issue, has some sort of food issue. And I think it's important to really honor that and to really validate that as you know no this is a result of living in the culture that we do and this is not your fault yeah it's it's not our fault that diet culture exists and that we continue to be faced with that each and every day so i think that's that's great yeah. to kind of yeah. point out there um so I know that, you know, Rachel and I both are in private practice, work in the eating disorder field, and myself as a dietitian, I see so often moms bring their teens in for session and, you know, say, I'm overwhelmed. I'm scared that my kid is engaging in behaviors. I'm scared about their body image struggle. And... They also are then admitting I'm struggling myself and I don't know how to not make this worse. So how do you coach those parents? I know we just talked about the teens. Now, what would you say to the parents themselves or the moms specifically? Yeah. So, you know, a lot of it is the parents. So, and I have parents that come to me also um, sort of in the same way of, you know, please help fix my child. Mm -hmm. And, you know, really after a couple of sessions, we start kind of looking at the inner stuff. What's, what's being triggered by your child's body or by your child's eating behavior. And, you know, and I get it. Look, I, I understand that parents are scared to have plus sized children. I understand that parents are scared to have children eating candy, you know, like there's no tomorrow because the messages that we're told is that being plus size is unhealthy. Eating sugar is unhealthy. A parent is a bad parent if they have a plus size child. You know, so many parents that I talk to, they say that, they feel that people are judging them based on their child's appearance. So I, I get it. I, I understand that your child's body is triggering your own stuff. It's triggering you to now feel like you're a bad parent, that you're going to be judged, that you're not going to be loved, or that you're, you know, your own food and body image issues are coming out. So I think it's really important you know, when working with parents is to talk about triggers. To, to start unlearning fat phobia. And fat phobia is the fear of fat, you know, the fear of gaining weight, the fear of plus size bodies. Um, because once we can start digging into that, you know, why are you so scared of your child putting on weight? You know, what does that mean about your child? Why are you so scared of putting on weight? What does that mean about you? Once we can start breaking these down, we start getting more to a place of, you know, okay, maybe, maybe all bodies can be a little bit safer. Maybe in this home, we can start neutralizing foods, you know, because really restriction and stress are what lead to weight gain and yo and yo-yo dieting and weight cycling more than, you know, really being in touch and 
and, you know, present with our food and our bodies and eating what we feel that are, you know, eating, eating according to our actual hunger. Yeah, I see so often. And I love that you touch on this where it's like parents coming in and being like, I'm scared of what my kid looks like. You know, the rest of us look this way, which is maybe the glorified diet culture version. And then we have this one kid that is living in a different body. Is there something wrong with that kid or am I doing something wrong? And and the parents listening, I want to tell you, no, you know, but we can stop that we can stop the diet cycle. We can stop and prevent a life of dieting and yo-yoing with that child if we just teach them of body acceptance. Like, it's okay that your body is this certain way. We don't need to be afraid of it, you know? And a great dietitian, Leslie Schilling, once said that kids are like accordions, you know? Sometimes they stretch to spring up and sometimes they spring up and squish in you know it's it's okay that bodies and height and all of that are changing because they're in a growing phase and we're all meant to look different this is okay absolutely absolutely yeah and and you know i think it's again you know the health and wellness industry and social media and all this stuff really does tell parents that you know, kids shouldn't be plus size or that you need to be eating, you know, according to this food diagram, or you need to be getting, you know, X, Y, and Z. And, and again, I just think that parents don't know who to trust anymore. You know, we, we have fat phobia in, in science and, and the medical industry and in doctors and in nutritionists. And, you know, I, I think people really just feel like there's so much information out there. You know, sugar's bad. No, sugar's good. Fat's bad. Fat's good. You know, carbs are bad. Carbs are good. Meat's bad. You know, and it's just, again, it's this, it's this chase for weight loss, but it's also this chase to have the right information. And we are just surrounded by misinformation about bodies. Yeah, I mean, I find a lot of moms come in and, and kind of preface their concerns with, I just don't want my kid to be bullied. So it seems like it's protective. But a big piece of that is not protecting your kid from bullying, but educating your child and educating yourself on like all the systematic oppression that goes around different body sizes. No, I mean, just, I love that you pointed out the bullying part. I think that's actually like, that's a really important aspect that we should, we should cover, of course, um, because you know, of course, you know, I think we need to sort of give parents a little bit of empathy also because you're trying to protect your child. You're trying to protect your child from bullying, from not being loved, from, you know, look, I mean, plus size people, it's it's proven that they get paid less than their thin counterparts. So of course you want your child to succeed. You want to give your child every opportunity. So I, I get it. And, you know, again, if any parents are listening to this that are feeling pressure to have a thin child, I get it. Like, let's, let's have a little empathy and softness for ourselves and understand that, you know, you're fighting against, you know, systemic oppression. That being said, you know, if we can also understand that kids are going to get bullied, you know, look, I am a staunch anti-bullying person advocate. I, I, I go into schools. I talk all the time about bullying. I have been cyberbullied viciously in the past, and I know how harmful it is. I know how toxic it is. I know how hurtful it is. I know how triggering, and, and you can give PTSD, cause depression, anxiety. I get it. That being said, if we can raise kids to know that even if they're bullied, 
even if someone makes fun of them, that they are still loved and accepted, that you still love them, that they still have value. You know, my, my story, I was really bullied growing up, but I was raised to believe that if people didn't like me, that meant I was unlovable. That meant I was bad. That meant I was, should be ashamed. You know, my value, my personal feelings, my self-confidence was intrinsically tied to how much love I had from others, to how popular I was, to how pretty I was. And so again, it's all about, like I understand we wanna protect kids from bullying, but kids are gonna be bullied. That's the world we live in until we have drastic change, kids are gonna get bullied. And I think if we can raise kids to know that even if they're bullied, that they are still loved, they still have value, they still have offer, they still have things to offer in this world and you still love them, that you are still a safe person to them, we can make it so the bullying doesn't hurt so much. And, and I like to call this a self-love armor. Um, you know, if we look at it like, yes, we want to give kids a self-love armor. You know, no armor is bulletproof in every single, you know, part of it. There's going to be a little piece that gets in and kids are going to get hurt. But it's about minimizing that hurt and helping them build up the confidence so they know that those words don't really mean that they're a bad person inside. Right. Is there specific language that you would use for children versus teens to kind of challenge that bullying? Hmm. So, you know, what I usually say to parents, especially when they come up to me, you know, with a very specific thing, you know, this happened at my, to my kid at school today. I, my first response is, if you were your child and that happened to you, what would you have needed to hear when you were young? And I think really that can help us get into whatever age the child is that can help you get into the mindset of God, when I was 16 and I came home, uh, you know, because someone broke up with me because I had acne and I was crying, I needed some space or I needed a hug or I needed to hear that my mom also went through this stuff, but she lived through it. Um, you know, when I was a kid, I needed to be heard. I needed to be seen. You know, I, I think it's about, yes, we can say different things things to different ages. You know, obviously we're not going to be talking about, you know, drug abuse to, you know, a six-year-old, or we're not going to be talking about, you know, violence or, or other things that we've gone through, but we can still empathize. You know, you can still empathize no matter what age a child is. And I think this also opens up another conversation is that parents want to fix. Parents want to fix so badly because it breaks their hearts when their kids are hurting. It's so hard to see someone you love hurting. And so what do we do? You know, a kid comes to you and says, well, I feel fat. Well, no, you're not. You're beautiful. You know, I'm, I'm so upset about this. Well, it's fine. It'll pass. Uh, you know, brighter days are ahead. You know, I'm scared about, you know, the quarantine or the lockdown. Well, it's okay. We're fine. We're safe. And I think what happens is when we don't listen to little emotions, you know, like little kids just have, it may seem like such a small thing to you, but to someone small, those big emotions are big, um, and we don't we don't validate when we don't listen. And you know, another part of it is empathizing. So you know, really great thing that I like to say that for parents to use is like if your kid comes to you and says, you know, this happened to me today. You can say, you let them talk, let them finish, but you can also say, you know, I had something similar happen to me, and it sucks. It really hurt. I remember going through it. I remember struggling. I did live through it though. I did get through it. I'm not saying that this isn't gonna hurt now, but what I am saying is that I did live through it. It did make me stronger and that I'm here to you know, help you and listen to you every time anything like this happens. 
I like the idea of storytelling, you know, parents kind of sharing their own stories and the stories of that they were taught or the struggles that they might have had, maybe without going into details like age appropriate, but at the same time sharing like sharing the story and then also explaining like I have empathy. I, I know what it's like. I've been there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't know if, if I'm sure you guys know Brene Brown. Um, oh, of course. She, I love, I love her work. And, and before, I think maybe a couple years ago, she had done a talk on empathy and somebody made this animated video. I think if you, like, if you just go to YouTube and you search Brene Brown empathy, it's like a quick four minute video. And it's one of the most um, it's this animated video with like a, a bear and it's, there's a, a giraffe that's hurting. I mean, it's great, but it explains the difference between empathy and sympathy. And I think, you know, again, you know, just, just if, if no one has seen it, I mean, empathy requires vulnerability. So empathy is not when your child hurts and they come to you and, you know, say, I'm, I'm hurting and you say, well, they're there, you know, your things are going to get better. You know, I know you're hurting. You know, that's sympathy. That's sort of like looking down on someone. You know, empathy is where you get onto their level and you say, I have had a hurt too. And it may not have looked like yours, but my, I've, I've had my heart hurt from this also, and it sucks. And to do that though, we have to access our pain. We have to access the sucky things inside of us. Um, and, you know, something that I had learned from doing like the My Body Story series and, and the work that I've done, you know, working with teens and, and opening up workshops and things is that, gosh, people want to be heard. But when we hear each other on a vulnerable, empathetic level, we become so much closer. You know, some of the best friendships I have started through opening up about pain and trauma. Can you tell us more about the hashtag My Body Story and how you empower teens with that? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so I'm going to backtrack a little bit just of, of my story. So, um, mm -hmm. you know, I was, a, I, I'm from Cal San Francisco, California. I moved to New York 10 years ago. And when I moved, you know, I, I'd been raised, I had such low self-esteem. I mean, I, I, I'm surprised I didn't have an eating disorder when I was younger, but when I was 26, I moved to New York. I moved across the country, didn't know anybody. I just, it was like, it was the recession. I had just gone through a breakup. I was had to move back home with my parents. And, you know, it was like, it was like the perfect storm for me to just get up and move across the country. Um, unfortunately, losing all my social connections and everything, when I moved to New York, it was really the straw that broke the camel's back. And I very quickly developed an eating disorder. Um, so on top of it, when I first moved to New York, I started dating a fashion photographer. And that was in the middle of my eating disorder. Um, and so we, you know, I was dating this fashion photographer and, you know, I thought, why don't I become a fashion blogger? That sounds really fun. sounds like something bonding we can do together. I love clothes. I love, you know, having my picture taken. I, you know, I love sharing this stuff. And very, very quickly into becoming a fashion blogger, my eating disorder absolutely spiraled because what I would do is I would shoot for the blog. Well, let me back up. So I would, um, restrict. So I, I knew I'd be shooting for the blog on Saturday and Sunday. I'd be shooting photos for the blog. So Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I would absolutely restrict my food and I would, you know, be exercising constantly and, you know, counting macros and calories and all this stuff. Shoot for the blog Saturday, Sunday, Sunday night, I would crash and I would binge eat and I would eat up until Wednesday when I had to start working out again. And then the cycle would just continue and continue and it continued for a very long time. So 
I started seeing a therapist. I started getting help for my eating disorder. And I started realizing that fashion was, you know, fueling my eating disorder. I realized that that relationship was harming my, my mental health. And so I started getting better. I started, you know, I started working on myself. I started getting better. I was learning about feminism, body positivity, all of this stuff. And um, I realized that I couldn't do fashion anymore. And what happened was I, you know, I started sharing my body stuff and my eating disorder. And I, I started building this other community that was built on vulnerability and truth. And, um, and I started realizing that I had this big platform from my fashion blogging, but I wasn't using it in the same way. And I, as I was learning about all of this sort of activism things and, you know, the, really the, the things in our society and our culture that are really harmful and toxic for a lot of people, I started going, I have a space I can share. So I created this prompt called the My Body Story and, or called My Body Story. And really the prompt was, if your body could tell a story, what would it tell? And I had so many people submit stories that I featured on the blog. Um, and what it was, it, it was, you know, just, it was people with disabilities. It was plus size people, people of color, people who, you know, had had accidents, PTSD, trauma, eating disorders, you know, uh, rapes, all just, you name it. Somebody, somebody had that story to share. And it was people that didn't have followings, didn't have platforms, you know, really just were holding on to this shame and this guilt on their own. And something really beautiful happened. So there was two really beautiful things that came out of my body story series. The, the first one was that people felt people were able to get rid of the shame that they were holding on to. You know, I've had a lot of people email me over the years saying, I just want to thank you for letting me do the my body story series because that was the beginning of my healing journey. And so it was, you know, once we, they put this, you know, once somebody said, I had an eating disorder and you put it out there, it's just not as big. You're able to talk about it. It's not this shameful, you know, thing hiding under the bed. It's just sort of something you live with. It, it, it goes from a monster to a roommate. And so the other thing that happened was that people saw different stories. They saw diversity. They saw people who didn't look like them, but they also related on a humanity level. Um, you know, people were able to say, oh my gosh, me too. I have that same story. I've never seen anyone tell it. And I feel so less mm -hmm. alone. That's awesome. And that was, yeah, it just, it was such a beautiful thing to do. So if anybody wants to read the stories, if you go to, um, so if you go to danasukow.com, there's a link. If you go to dothehotpants.com, which is my old fashioned blog, there's a whole My Body Story tab. Um, you could even just go to Google and search My Body Story and it should come up. Um, but yeah, but there's just, I'd say there's probably about a hundred different stories of people um, just sharing their, sharing their stuff. Yeah, I love that it's, I love how you bring up like, hey, this was a platform for those that aren't major Instagram celebrities or have huge followings it's just anybody having that opportunity to be able to share their story and I think that's great that's ultimately what we're shooting for in a lot of our you know topics and interviews of really trying to reach out to those that don't normally have uh, the platform to speak. And so, um, yeah, I think that's great. Yeah, Thank absolutely. you for doing that. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's important, you know, and I, I just think that we are so used to listening to one, one voice, one type of person, one body type, because that's who has been, 
you know, propped up as the all-knowing or, the, you know, the, the leader or the expert. And I just think it's, it's so important to hear other people's experiences, you know, but the other important part of it is hearing other people's experiences. It, it lets, it, it takes people away from being other and it makes it so that we can relate all on a human level and it makes people less distant. You know, it makes someone who doesn't look like you less further away because you share the same trauma and the same pain and the same struggle or, you know, and, and someone's struggle might not look like yours. You know, maybe it's a completely different struggle, but to know that this human is going through the same emotions, the same pain, the same sadness. I mean, it really, empathy and vulnerability bring people together instead of, you know, tearing people apart. Well, I love that because I think so many of the moms that we talk to and teens that we talk to, they've only been given this one narrative, which is mostly the diet culture narrative or the narrative from the generation that they were raised by, which was the Weight Watchers generation, the Jenny Craig generation. So all of these alternate stories of body acceptance and body diversity or even the intuitive eating and the health at every size and some of these like modalities that we as you know providers are well-versed in people have no clue what this is. So this is a whole nother like section we're just trying to like share with people. And I think that when teens and when parents are able to receive alternate narratives and alternate messaging, it's really helpful and healing for them. Yeah, Yeah, 100%. 100%. And, you know, I I do have to remember, you know, I've been been doing body positivity and anti-diet stuff for so long that, you know, I'm just like, why doesn't everyone get it? You know, what what are we still talking about? Like, let's move on. There's, there's, let's now move to the next step. And I just have to remember that, you know, even though, you know, maybe my my favorite Instagram anti-diet person has 100,000 followers or 300,000 followers on social media or whatever, it's, we're talking about a drop in the bucket in, in, in the world. And, you know, we've got, I have to remember that people are still in such a, the victim mentality of diet culture that people are still so entrenched in it. And, you know, again, it's, it's flipped from, you know, that we need to lose weight to we need to be healthy and clean eating. And it's, it, it keeps transforming. It's like this eel that keeps like slipping out of our fingers when we start to get a grasp on it. So I, I do, I just have to remember that, um, you know, to really have empathy for the large, the vast amount of people who are still so in it. Um, because otherwise, if we keep moving forward without remembering for other, to help other people catch up, we're, we're, we're you know, we're not going to, we're not going to change minds and hearts. I think you bring up a good point. You know, so many people will still struggle. So many teens will still dabble in diet culture. So many moms will still struggle with wanting to lose those post-baby pounds, things like that. Like, But so how do you help parents look for certain red flags when like maybe some of the teens' body insecurities or their own securities are getting to the point where they need to do a lot more than kind of just sit and empathize? So can you give me an example well, if a teen's coming to some a parent and saying like, oh, I'm struggling with body image and I kind of want to lose weight for my prom or something along those lines, you know, empathizing with that, talking through it. But what would be a red flag that a parent should look for that the teen is really taking it to a level that is probably detrimental or even or even for a mom, a mom, you know, it's very common for the mom to say like, hey, it's been a couple months since I gave birth. I really want to try to fit back into those genes again and kind of struggle with some of that. And but what's a red flag when it's becoming something that they're really taking to the next level? Yeah. Things like that. Yeah. So, I mean, it's 
it's it's a great question and it's a it's a hard question because everyone is so individual but i would say really when we start getting into shame when we start getting into not just you know i want to change my body i want to feel good i want to lose 10 pounds but i am bad my body is bad. I am unworthy. I have no value. You know, when we start, when you start hearing, you know, somebody who, you know, if I don't lose these 10 pounds, I'm not going to be loved. That's when, and when I say red flag, I'm not saying, well, now it's an eating disorder, but I'm saying that's really where we've got to get intervention because it could lead to eating disorder. It could lead to drug abuse. It could lead to, you know, practicing, you know, unsafe behaviors, looking for love in the wrong places or looking for validation in the wrong places. So when it goes into the shame territory where it's not just, you know what, I want to work on my muscles a little bit, or, you know, I want to start running because I want to be able to keep up with my kids or, you know, oh, you know, maybe it's, look, I'm not even, I'm not even going to put the suggestions out there because I don't want people to think I'm validating anything. But I just, I just want to say, you know, if we're just talking about like, I want to do it because I want to feel better physically, or, you know, I know that doing this will, will help me with my life longevity, whatever. But when we start saying, because I look like this, I am bad because I look like this. I am in trouble. I am unlovable. I am garbage. That's where we re that's where my red flag, my, 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 you know, antenna instantly pops up. My, I just go, we have got to get help into this household. We've got to get help into this brain, into this mind, which, you know, whatever way it works, but that's where we've got to do it. deep inner child healing, deep anti-diet, you know, cleaning, uh, deep body positive learning. Like that's where we really have to go in because that stuff is going to help more than any weight loss is going to help someone. Right. I, I want to bring it to the other side and go, okay, we've talked about the kids that have been bullied, but what about the bulliers? And so I'm very ashamed to say that in my adolescent oh, and teen years, I was <laughs> not so nice. I know, my gosh, I'm putting it out into the world. But, and I've I've had to work through that because I wasn't really... I mean, I was quote unquote well liked, but I was not so nice to people. And I think when I look back on that, it was just mountains of insecurity. And I mean, this could turn into weeks of therapy yeah. right here. But yeah. oh, let it, we got well, how much more time we have? Let it out. I know. Let it out. Let's do this. I know. Let's make this, let's but, make this a three parter. So I think like you bring up such a good point of like, okay, here are these red flags, and it's going. How as a household can we kind of look out for this? And so when a kid's when a kid is showing signs that they need to engage in these items to make themselves be a better person or to feel better, it isn't just necessarily about, oh, I'm doing so and so to change my body. It's like, are you being really hurtful to someone to make your self-worth increase? And so I'm not bashing my parents at all. I think they did the best that they knew and I love you guys. But I think if I were sat down and talked about, hey, that actually really hurts someone and is going to cause damage for a long time, what's going on? Are you okay to engage in that? And when I look back on family videos, I mean, it's obvious. I am an aggressive human. So I don't think it wasn't 
the picture wasn't painted. So I think for me, kind of coming from that side as parents, a red flag would be like a behavior that is across the board of going, I am constantly telling people what to do. I'm even like doing it to the dog, screaming at the dog to sit down and going, whoa, what the hell is happening? Um, I wanted to bring some light to that angle. Do you have any advice for parents of the flip side to to give to the bulliers? Mm -hmm. So first of all, I just thank you for opening up about that. You know, there really is a lot of shame so for people much. who have bullied and hurt others or, you know, done, done harmful behaviors, especially as kids. I mean, so I just want to empathize with you a little bit and say, while I was bullied and while I had deep, deep insecurity, I was also severely mean to others uh, when I was a kid, when I was a teen. Um, you know, I, I gossiped, I hurt people, I, you know, yelled, I mean, and I do, you know, when I first started going to therapy, there was a lot of shame around it. It was almost like you can't talk. Like, I don't even want to bring that up because it's just, if we don't talk about it, it's like it didn't happen. But I think it's really important to remember for anyone who has bullied is, especially when you were a child, is that you were um, acting out the tools that you were being given. You know, you were doing the best you could with the tools you were given by your caregivers and the people around you. And, um, you know, we really have to have some forgiveness. You were a child back then. And even if you were doing it when you were 16, 17, 18, you know, yeah, of course you're, you're, you're getting older, but your prefrontal cortex still isn't fully developed. You're still a child. You still have a child brain. And so I really just want to give some forgiveness. And I'm saying that because I need forgiveness. You know, I need the forgiveness that I'm trying to give to others um, for the way that I've acted. And, and I do have to remember, so I came from a very rageful home. Um, it was zero to a hundred in the drop of a hat. You know, you could never do anything right. You're always stupid for doing, for, for trying. And then you got in trouble for not trying. So it was just, it was a really unsafe environment, um, you know, mentally. And so when I look back at my bullying, it was because I was so deeply insecure. And what I, the way I had to do it was that I felt so, so small in such, so many areas of my life that the only way for me to feel big was to make others around me small. You know, it was, it's kind of like a seesaw. Um, you know, you're not really playing seesaw if you're both equal. So it, for me, it was, if I'm down, everyone else is above me. It's because if I'm down, you know, I'm not seeing everyone else struggle. Everyone else seems happy. And if I'm up, everyone else is down. And so for me to feel good, I have to put people down. And I think it's just if we can understand the power dynamics, if we can understand, you know, emotionally that kids are acting out the things they've learned, you know, a lot of times when kids are getting trouble for being bullied, their parents bully them. I see so many viral things on parenting blogs, on whatever, of you know how the parent punishes their kid when they found out they were being bullied. And honestly, half the time the punishment looks like bullying. So it's no wonder that kids are coming out as bullies when they're being bullied at home. You know, there's this really beautiful viral story that came out. I don't, I don't know when it came out, but this kid was bullying. So there's this guy and he had a son at school and his son was being bullied for his shoes. And you know, that his sneakers weren't, weren't nice or whatever. And the dad 
instead of calling the bully's family and getting the kid in trouble, instead of getting the school involved, which I'm not suggesting anyone does this, but he picked the bully up from school and he took him shoe shopping and he bought him a pair of shoes and he talked to the kid and it was, he was, must've been like 12 or 13 and he talked to him for a while. And you know, what came out was this kid had so much pain. His parents couldn't afford shoes. You know, he was, he was struggling. He was probably made to feel completely unimportant at home or at school. And so his way of protecting himself and feeling better was belittling others. You know, not only is that a way of safety, because people can't attack you if you hurt other people, but it was a way of giving himself some sort of confidence. And, you know, I think it was like a, do not a dodo story, I think it was a, um, like a bored panda, like one of those websites that just post viral content all the time. And the kid, the guy's son and the bully ended up becoming friends because he listened to them. You know, there's a really great saying, I'm gonna try and pull up the author because I love this saying so much. Um, but it's basically that kids who need the most love will ask for it in the most unloving ways. And it's by Ru Russell A. Barkley. Uh, the children who need love the most will always ask for it in the most unloving ways. And I think it's difficult for parents because we want to tell kids that being bad is bad and that they're going to get in trouble if they're bad. But at the same time, it's sort of like, you know, sometimes I feel like it's like hitting a kid because they hit another kid. So, you know, we just have to be careful about what are, what is the response to bullying? Why is a child bullying? Where is the pain coming from? Where, you know, where are they feeling powerless? Um, and making sure that the response is the appropriate response to that and that you are in turn are not bullying your, your child because they're bullying because then we're really just ingraining bullying behavior. I mean, that brings us right back to our challenge for moms always, which is to do your own work, you know, and figure out exactly what's going on with you and what, what narratives, what traumas, what healing things that you need to do and steps you need to take in order to be the best human and the best parent. Um, so if it's okay if we're going to bring it right back to the moms just for one last question for you. Oh, please. I mean, I think I think this podcast is about, yes, absolutely. We can go please. all over the place here. But I think that many, many moms are triggered by their teens either being bullied or bullying or the dieting or they're growing up and being in their bodies, whatever that looks like. And, and they're dieting because it just brings up their lack of body peace or their dieting history or their history being bullied as a child. So I think this is going to be a big question that we're not going to have time to fully dive into, but I'm, how do you coach moms to just really manage their own triggers that they're being triggered by with their teens? So yeah, again, I mean, huge, huge question. Great question. Huge question because there's so many ways to do it. I'm going to give one thing that I think is a tool that people can work on is that to take a pause. <laughs> when you get triggered, take a pause. You know, so I'm going to talk really quickly and I'm sure you, you, you guys know about limbic hijack or, you know, when our, when our nervous system hijacks us, but you know, basically when we are getting triggered, when, you know, someone's doing something and I'm triggered about it, my body starts going into fight, flight, freeze response. You know, I'm picking what is the appropriate reaction for this trigger? I'm triggered. I'm feeling unsafe. So do I fight them? Do I yell? You know, do I run away or do I freeze? And in those moments when we are hijacked, when our nervous system has hijacked our brain, the most important thing you can do is instead of respond is to take a minute, is to take a breath, 
meditate, walk away, you know, take a second, calm down, get your, you know, get your heart rate down, get your blood pressure down, get your thoughts separated. Because what happens is too, is a lot of times our responses are um, out of, uh, they're too big. Our responses are too big for the situation, but because we're triggered, it feels like the appropriate response. And, you know, we, we get a little dysregulated sometimes. Uh, and so I think the most important thing is to step away. You know, if, and if we look at it this way, like, look, unless your kid's on fire or something's happening and you don't, you can't go, you know, meditate for a second. At the end of the day, look, if, if you're, if your kids, you know, if a kid hit another kid or if you found your kid snacking or doing this, have your kids sit down go walk away for five minutes, three minutes, 30 seconds, whatever it is, but get out of the limbic hijack. And, um, you know, if you need help with this, a really great person or, or um, you know, kind of leader in this field is Tara Brock. And I'm not sure if, if you, if either of you are familiar with her, but she's a Buddhist teacher. She has an amazing podcast. So her name's Tara, T-A-R-A Brock, B-R-A-C-H. Um, she has an amazing podcast. It's free. She also does these beautiful meditations and you don't have to be a you know, yogi or a Buddhist or anybody to do them. I mean, they're, they're very accessible um, for people who don't meditate. And she talks a lot about how to get out of limbic hijack, how to get out of our trigger response, how to get out of that fight, flight, freeze. So, you know, look, I can, I can say, well, when your kid eats sugar, do this, this should be your response. When your kid does this, this should be your response. But we're going to go through a million scenarios. The most important thing you can do is calm down and give an appropriate response for the level of misbehaving or for the level of, you know, error that has happened. Um, and I think that that's, that's great for all of us, not just parents. We all have, you know, out of control responses sometimes because we're triggered. We all have PTSD from something. We all have trauma from something. No one came out of childhood unscathed. We all have our stuff. But if we can learn to stop going from zero to 100, even if we go to zero to 30, even if we go zero to 50, whatever your, you know, your RPMs are, if we can slow it down a little bit, you can give a better response and you can be more present and you can be, you know, more humane to the people around you. Love it. Yeah. Let's all take a deep breath. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Cause you're right. A lot of moms are going to immediately jump into like, Ooh, how can I fix it? Which you said earlier, you know, like, okay, should, well, let me cook different recipes or let's go to the store together or let me get used to this. or let me figure out that. So you're right. Taking a deep breath and stepping away might help the mom kind of be able to identify what the triggers are and then figure out maybe a more accurate response, whether it's the empathy or the problem solving, but yeah. And, and, you know, and two, and even if like, let's say you're triggered because your kid said, mom, I was bullied. Maybe that's bringing up your bullying stuff. You can, you can still take a minute. You can say, all right, honey, I want to give you my undivided attention. I need five minutes and then we're going to sit down and we're going to talk or whatever it is. And what you're doing, you're not abandoning your child. You are becoming the best version of yourself so that you can take their stuff in. You know, we also have to self-care. We also, yes, we want to fix and hold and do all these things, but if you're not fixing and holding yourself, then you have no space to give to others. So I'm not saying abandon. I'm saying if your kid comes to you, yes, validate them 100%. Tell them the time that you're going to speak to them. Tell them that they will have your undivided attention. But if you need five minutes, if you need 10 minutes, if you need 30 seconds, whatever it is, 
hug them, give them the comfort, get them down from their, you know, their limbic hijack, and then take some time for yourself so that you can really be present and get out of your own trigger so that they also, so, you know, and, and I'm sure we have to go, but you know, one, one of the things too is when you respond in a triggered place, you know, if your child is saying, oh, my skin's broken out and you respond, oh my gosh, well, we have to go to the dermatologist. We have to get this fixed. We have to do that. You're teaching your child that this is something to panic about, that this is something to get very upset and in a very heightened state about. If you are calm and relaxed and loving and empathetic, you're teaching your child to be calm, relaxed, loving and empathetic with themselves. Would you you kind of throw out there any other body positive resources for parents to explore more? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Thank you for asking. So instead of me just listing off things, so if someone's listening to the podcast, they're frantically writing down, I'm actually just going to say, if you go to my website, if you go to danasukow.com slash resources, I have an entire resource page. It's free. You don't have to sign you don't have to sign up. I'm not, I'm not tracking. There's no information. You go there. You don't have to do anything else, but I have podcasts. I have Tara Brock's podcast on there or a meditation on there, but I have body positive podcasts. I have a body positive reading list for young kids, for young adults, and also for adults. That's divided up into age group. Um, I also have a list of Instagram accounts. So if you are looking for body positive Instagram accounts to diversify your feed, to make your Instagram and your social media look more like the real world, visit my page. I've got a ton of, um, you know, of, of approved accounts that I believe really are helping make a difference in this world. So again, if you're just looking for a place to start, go there and, and I, I'm sure you'll find something that will work for you and your family. You have a great list. I've screenshotted it and sent it to friends before. So we will we will link it in the show notes and we'll even screenshot it and throw it into our stories the week your episode airs too. Thank so you. Can see it. Any other ways people can find you? Your website's there. I know you're on Instagram. Yeah. So th- thanks for asking. I appreciate that. So, you know, I I am it's it's I'm almost annoyingly easy to find because everything is Dana Sukow. DanaSukow.com. My Facebook is at Dana Sukow. My Instagram is at Dana Sukow. My Twitter is at Dana Sukow. My email is Dana at Dana Sukow. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's like, I, it's annoyingly, you know, I think I did too good on the marketing on that part. Um, or like my, you know, my branding. Um, but if you just search for me, my, my major platform is Instagram. So that's the one I really use the most. It's really hard for me to be on, on multiple platforms through the day because I, I, I'm unable to do my, my one-on-one training and my workshops. Um, but Instagram is my main one. And then on top of that, my, my website. So if you really, if you want to get a hold of me, you can DM me on Instagram or send me an email, Dana at danasukow.com. Um, I get back within 24 hours to almost everyone. Um, so yeah, re- reach out. I'm here. And you know, if you have any feedback or questions from the, from the podcast, please let me know I'm here. Awesome. Thank you so much. We appreciate you chatting yeah, with us. Yeah, go on forever. Thank but you for having thank me. You. This was a great discussion. You, yeah, you asked really great questions. I yes, appreciate you it. you too, especially in New York City. You guys <laughs> are getting slammed. <laughs> well, be be safe during quarantine. And you know, yeah, we did it. Yay. You know, um, virtual high five. Thank you again to Dana for speaking with us. And I hope all of you mom listeners feel a little bit more empowered to do the work to heal your own relationship with diet culture so that you can help your teen navigate this super gnarly time. 
Our takeaway question for you is what steps do you need to take to heal your body image, either present or maybe your body image past, so that you can peacefully help your teen navigate their body insecurities? We wish you lots of luck on this healing journey, and we will see you next time. This episode of Mom Jeans was produced and edited by Rachel Coleman and Tina LaBoy. Just a reminder, this episode is not a substitute for therapeutic counsel or nutrition advice. Thank you to Jerry DePizzo for the music production. You can find episode information and show notes at www.momjeansthepodcast.com. Follow us on Instagram at momjeansthepodcast and join the Mom Jeans the Podcast Facebook group to find a community of mamas learning to love their bodies and discussing the episodes. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Mom Jeans. See you next time.